Welcome to another edition of The Greater Good. The Greater Good is about conversations on policy priorities that matter for our future. And we have those conversations with leaders across Australia as CETA continues to pursue solutions that deliver better economic and social outcomes for the greater good. I'm Jared Ball, Chief Economist of the Committee for Economic Development of Australia. Before we get started with today's episode, I'm going to take a few seconds to let you rate and subscribe to our podcasts. Subscribing means you get the episodes in your phone as soon as they go live and rating our show helps others to find it too. So thanks for doing that. Now into today's show. Uh, it's obviously been another big week. Uh, we've had a number of announcements from the federal government around uh, the continuation of the job seeker and job keeper payments uh, beyond the September end date that will now go into uh, March and be tapered into March. Um, and we've also today had the government's uh, economic and fiscal update, uh, a really important statement ahead of the federal budget in October. So to chat about these things and, and particularly around the, the sort of impacts on people uh, who are vulnerable and, and the labour market, I was joined by uh, Dr Peter Davidson, who's a Principal Advisor at the Australian Council of Social Services. Peter, thanks for, thanks for joining me. Um, obviously, the government's released its economic and fiscal update today, but um, preceding that, they announced uh, the changes to JobKeeper and JobSeeker um, and avoiding the September uh, cliff that everyone was fearing. Uh, what's your reaction to the changes that they've made on those programs and, and what's ACOS's feeling about this? Well, I should say at the outset that we very much welcomed the job keeper and job keeper, job seeker programs, including the and especially the doubling of the unemployment payment back in April. Um, they were exactly what was required at a time of uh, unprecedented um, economic and health crisis and um, good on the government for getting that together in a very short space of time and um, saving around 700,000 jobs and lifting um, around, well, up to 2 million people out of poverty. Um, we were concerned, as were many others, about the so-called cliff in October when um, JobKeeper was going to come off and uh, the doubling of the JobSeeker payment was in theory going to end, um, that would have thrown um, the economy back into recession, um, a whole lot of people back into poverty and um, the, there would have been a renewed crisis on many levels had uh, had the government done so. I think they always had in mind um, phasing them out, which is perfectly sensible. That was, that was our advice to government on JobKeeper, to phase it out gradually, to keep it in place for um, those employers who still need it and to gradually taper it out. 
Um, and we we didn't have a problem with um, a reduced rate for part-time workers because we thought if uh, if everyone was receiving the full-time rate, that um, that part-time labour would be hoarded, that employers would um, uh, would be asking people to take on more hours, which they may not want to do, and uh, there'd be less opportunities for unemployed people. So that was. Uh, in principle, at least, a sensible move. On the job seeker side, um, we're very concerned about the um, $300 a fortnight reduction in the payment. The COVID supplement lifted a whole lot of people out of poverty, people who for the first time could eat three square meals a day, didn't have to juggle um, power bills and medical bills, didn't have to delay visits to the dentist and, um, and could pay for um, all of their kids' school expenses and didn't have that constant worry about uh, running out of money before the next payment came in 14 days. Uh, reducing it by $300 will be a big financial shock for a lot of people, especially single people who, whose payments were much lower and single parents on income support for whom budgeting was always a struggle. Uh, we argued the government should the full COVID supplement in place until they increased job seeker and other payments up to a decent level at which people can afford the basics. And our, we and our members have been saying that's anywhere between $185 a week increase which brings the unemployment payments up to pension levels and um, keeping, the, uh, keeping the supplement, which was a much larger increase. But um, the increase now is $125 a week from where it was previously. That's significant, but it's a large cut for people um, going from September to October. And then on New Year's Day, a whole lot of people on income support payments um, won't know whether even that amount will be retained. They'll probably get some warning before then, but, but there's still this uncertainty about what the permanent rate of job seeker and youth allowance and other payments will be and that is that is piling stress on top of the stress that people already face from the pandemic and uh, budgeting on low incomes they really should have announced a permanent and more substantial increase in 
that payment. Okay, so so um, reasonably positive on the job keeper front, but um, you would have liked to have seen the government keep the the full COVID supplement in place um, until they had a, a kind of policy in place around a permanent permanent increase to to the job seeker payment. That that's um that's a reasonable summary. Yes, yes, and a and a decent increase based on. Um, based on a clear-eyed assessment of the living costs of people affected. Um, there was never a good reason to pay people on unemployment payments um, almost $200 a week less than people receive on pensions, uh, and the pension itself is pretty frugal. Um, 20 years ago, the gap between the two was only about $30 a week. It's now almost $200 a week. And there's really no good reason for that. Um, about half people on the job seeker payment these days have been on the payment for over a year. It's a tough labour market out there. Yeah, and I think um, you know, obviously, uh, Cedar has also been been out on this in terms of supporting uh, a permanent increase to the rate. Uh, I think the, the case is pretty comprehensive on that. Um, just shifting and thanks to, to Cedar for that support. <laughs> thanks, Peter. Um, and just just shifting to today's um, economic and and financial update, um, mm. I would say it's a pretty pretty challenging set of numbers um, today, particularly when you look at look at the fact that um, unemployment's expected to peak um, at just above 9% in the December quarter. Um, what were some of the key takeouts today for you and I guess some of the implications that you see particularly on those people um, who, are, who are most marginalised in terms of the labour market and, and vulnerable in terms of income? Sure. I think the number you just mentioned, 9.25% um, unemployment rate in December, and that is only projected to fall to eight and three quarters percent in July next year. So the recovery in jobs is going to be very slow, as it usually is after recessions. And so those were the numbers that concerned us most in this statement, not the public debt and deficit numbers. It was the unemployment numbers that uh, concerned us the most. And what that suggests is that um, um, the number of people unemployed, which is currently just under a million, will rise to 1.2, 1.3 million in December. And then if the pandemic doesn't return with a vengeance, um, very slowly reduce after that. If the pandemic returns and, uh, and we go back into lockdown, not only in Melbourne, but elsewhere, um, it'll be a lot worse than that. Uh, and that's our, that's our big concern. There are all, that also means 
there are presently 1.6 million people on job seeker and youth allowance payments. The numbers are somewhat different to the ABS unemployment figures, um, of whom 700,000 have been on those payments for over 12 months. And about half of them over 40, about half of them under 40. And we expect the number of people having to rely on those payments to rise to 2 million sometime in 2021. And the number long term on those payments over a year um, rising to 1 million or more. And that's compared to the last recession in 91, um, that's uh, that's about three times the number of long-term recipients of unemployment payments. So we go into the recovery phase with three times the number of people relying long-term on unemployment payments. It's a huge task to uh, assist those people back into uh, paid employment. Well, and and I guess that that probably goes to my my next question that I had, Peter, which was just around some of the programs that have been announced to date on on you know job creation, skills, employment, um, and of course we know that the the government had been looking at um, responding to the review on employment services and and beginning to um, roll out those changes. Do we have the right policy and program settings um, in this area and, and what do you make of the announcements to date? Well, there were some pretty bold figures in the statement today. What we need is some bold announcements of um, permanent substantial lift to job seeker payments so that people um, have the incomes they need to cover the basics. Secondly, um, economic stimulus to ensure there isn't a double dip. And that is likely unless government invests substantially in um, public infrastructure, such as um, social housing construction. And um, we've also proposed a major investment in to improve the energy efficiency of the homes of people on low incomes, both to reduce their bills and to reduce carbon emissions. Now, both of those things could be done, um, could be ramped up reasonably quickly um, and would create many jobs within, within 12 months of announcement, basically, unlike some of the larger transport infrastructure measures that, um, that have been announced uh, previously. Um, in addition, um, government will need to invest in or um, permanently lift spending in um, essential care services, aged care, NDIS, childcare, um, both to adjust to the pandemic and also um, to meet the huge unmet need in those areas and also to generate jobs, um, particularly for women, because women, along with young people, have been um, 
particularly affected by job losses in service industries this year. And so um, just getting out the hard hats and, um, uh, and generating those shovel-ready projects isn't quite going to cut it. So that's the, that's the second thing, economic stimulus, so that the jobs are there. And thirdly, um, employment programs to ensure that those who are currently unemployed get their fair share of those job opportunities, especially the 700,000 to 1 million long-term unemployed people, long-term recipients of unemployment payments who are otherwise at risk of just being left behind. Um, they mention in the economic statement that um, after the last recession, it took seven years to get unemployment down from double digits to 7%. So there's a very long tail of unemployment that follows um, most recessions and people can lose skills, they can lose confidence, they lose work experience and have this gap often a year or two in their resumes and uh, they are, they, they're screened out by many employers. So the kinds of employment programs we've been advocating are, well firstly, um, change the character of employment assistance and you mentioned the um, the expert panel that looked at um, future employment services a couple of years ago of which I was a member and we advised the government that employment services need to shift from this heavy-handed compliance focus just checking up on whether people have searched for their 20 jobs a month towards positive help to, um, in the form of career guidance for people who um, are really struggling to find their way in a labour market that's changed fundamentally in just two or three months. Training so that um, they're skilled up for the jobs that will be available, if not now, then in a year or two because those jobs won't be the same as the jobs that were around for many people at the um, um, at the entry level of the labour market. A lot of those jobs just won't be there in um, as we come out of this, unfortunately. Um, and finally, we've also advocated a jobs and training guarantee for people unemployed long-term, and that includes the 700,000 or so um, on job seeker payment who've been on that payment for more than 12 months, and young people who've been on the, that payment or youth allowance for, for more than six months, because we recognise that young people have been particularly affected by um, job losses and lack of job opportunities um, when they enter the paid workforce. And you can't leave things too long. You can't leave that intervention too long um, when young people are struggling to find 
paid employment because if, if you do, if you leave it more than six months, for example, then um, many people will, um, will struggle to find employment um, for a very long time and it'll have an effect on um, their earnings across their, their whole career. Um, so we noticed that the uh, British Conservative government has just introduced uh, a very large scale um, wage subsidy scheme for uh, young people who are unemployed for um, six months or more and some other long-term unemployed people. Something like that is needed here. And in addition to that, um, training opportunities for those people rather than uh, attempt to slot everybody into a single program, whether it's a, a wage subsidy scheme or training or um, working with local employers to, um, to match them to a particular job and then upskilling them for that position and mentoring them to ensure that they keep it. Um, all of those things should be in the mix but what everyone, each person receives should depend on their needs and local labour market conditions. Uh, there haven't been any announcements along those lines to date, but government is really going to have to ramp up uh, employment assistance for people unemployed long-term and those at risk of it very substantially. Otherwise, um, we'll find that um, as was the case after the last recession, we could go for a decade uh, and the number of people long-term on unemployment payments will hardly have reduced at all, and that would be a social and economic tragedy. Yeah, I think um, re really important in terms of the, the long-term potential scarring uh, impact on, on various groups. Um, exactly. If we... If we look forward, and obviously speculation has well and truly already begun around what might be in the October budget and, um, you know, stimulus measures, whether that's um, tax cuts or other things. Um, and without wanting to preempt you, Peter, on this, um, I've, I've just been doing some work on what National Cabinet uh, might need to look like uh, to be an enduring feature of, of the Federation and looking at some of the, the potential areas where it could play a role or where it's been successful in the past. And it's interesting mm -hmm. that following the global financial crisis, we had the $5.6 billion social housing initiative, um, which seemed to get some pretty good results in terms of um, construction of new homes and, and also um, stimulating the economy at that time. Um, what kind of mix of stimulus measures um are you supporting and, and where do you see social housing in that? We're advocating something similar to that social housing initiative because you're right, it, um, it was very effective. Most of the new homes built for people on very low incomes, many of whom at risk of homelessness, um, were built in the second year of the program and as you know, some of those um, large-scale 
transport infrastructure projects can take three years just to set up. Um, the, um, the multiplier for that program was estimated at 1.3 by KPMG, which means that for every dollar spent, um, GDP grew by uh, $1.30 in effect. And uh, there were tens of thousands of um, additional dwellings built over that three-year period and um, tens of thousands of jobs created in construction as well. And the other advantage of it is um, the regional targeting. You can target that precisely to the regions that have large numbers of people who are struggling on the lowest incomes, which are likely to be exactly the regions where unemployment is highest. Um, so certainly we've been advocating that. We've been talking to government about it. Um, we'd probably roll it out somewhat differently to, uh, to the way in which it was done previously with a greater emphasis on um, um, funding for community housing dwellings as distinct from uh, state housing authority dwellings because um, those social housing providers can then um, leverage more construction through, through debt because they've got more capital behind them. So yes, fantastic idea. Um, and we think um, something substantial should be done um, to reduce carbon emissions and the uh, well, more than one thing, because that's the that's the next crisis we face when we get over the, the pandemic crisis and the unemployment crisis, and we shouldn't forget about the climate crisis. And there we've been advocating a large-scale um, household energy efficiency package where local governments work with... Um, providers who are experienced in um, undertaking energy efficiency audits and then um, retrofitting homes to improve energy efficiency, lower energy bills and reduce carbon emissions, particularly, again, in social housing, but also um, in homes that are owned by people on low incomes, many of them older people, who just don't have the resources to fix the drafty doors and windows um, and to, uh, uh, to provide proper shading in the summer and to update their domestic heating appliances and so on. Um, that's a win-win for jobs, for the environment and, uh, and for um, people on low and modest incomes. So those are, those are our, our main public infrastructure proposals, but clearly the government will need to do a great deal more on that 
on that front because private investment isn't going anywhere. And private, it's, in fact, it's going backwards according to the latest figures and um, apart from mining. And uh, that's not going to change until there is more demand for the goods and services that businesses provide. And so government needs to step into the breach. Yeah, um, and I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more about that in the in the lead up to October. Um, Peter, thanks so much for um, for joining the pod to um, to have a chat about this. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Greater Good. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your preferred platform. And for more of CEDAR's COVID-19 coverage, such as our blogs and live streams, jump onto the CEDAR website, cedar.com.au. And as we continue to focus on economic recovery, you'll now find a lot of our COVID-19 coverage on the Coming Back Better tab of the website. And finally, keep up to date with everything CEDAR is doing in real time by following CEDAR on social media. You'll even find me there too, and always happy to take people's feedback and questions. Please tune in next time, and until then, stay safe.